Welcome to I'm Telling, where we have real stories from real students. Our podcast features students from South Mountain Community College Storytelling Institute, located in Phoenix, Arizona. These stories are recorded live in a classroom setting with just one take. Dinner is served. I had to learn how to say that with one of the jobs I had in San Francisco. I was a butler for the man that was purported to be the 10th richest man in America. He put together the deal where Rexall Drugs bought Tupperware. And he got a commission from that day forward. How does a guy get a job as a butler? You don't go and apply for it. But I was working. Well, let me say this, is that when I had gotten to San Francisco and my parents had passed away, And I really had just my sister. So I was on my own. So I wasn't going to go to college because I wasn't going to go into debt because I didn't have any backing. I didn't have solid footing. So I decided the city of San Francisco was going to teach me about life and and educate me. So I ended up working at the Transamerica Pyramid at the bar down at the base of it called the Bank Exchange. And the Transamerica Pyramid is the pyramid structure that you see in the skyline in San Francisco. And as a young man, I had a lot of energy. So I would come down at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I'd open up the smoke shop, and I would get cigars, cigarettes, newspaper, candy, and all that sort of stuff to all the people coming in to go to work. In the afternoon, I would go to the bar, and I was being what was called a barback. That meant I got the ice, I cleaned up, I did serve the food, and I did all these things. Well, there was a couple that came in. It was Rudy Drews, and I called him Mr. D. And his lady friend, Tony, who was just the epitome of charm and and gaiety and just charm. I I don't have words to describe her, except someday she'd be in with a, uh, a dress that looked like she was a gypsy queen with a long scarf. In the meantime, Mr. D would be dressed in a black pinstripe suit with white silk shirt, a nice bright tie, silver hair, and a red rose in his boutonniere. This was class. This is what this little guy was looking up to. So one day they looked to me and they said, "Uh, would you like to come to work for us? Deep breath. Sure. Doing what? We need a butler and a chauffeur. I could do the chauffeur. I was a cab driver. I know how to do this, huh? But this butlering, I don't know so much. Not so much. I don't know. And Tony, the lady's name, said, Oh, don't worry about it, Ralph. Just come on down and see us on Saturday. So on Saturday, I drive down to Hillsboro. Now, Hillsboro Hillsboro is in the southern peninsula, Midway, right near Stanford University, Palo Alto, and all that. It's up on the hills. It is so exclusive, it does not have a commercial district. You go shopping in San Mateo, and you go shopping in Burlingame, and you go shopping in Palo Alto. But you don't shop in Hillsborough. You send the help to go shopping anyhow. Well, I was becoming the help. So I pull up this long driveway with an arch, you know, a gate, and I pull up to this house, and it's very... Eh, it was okay. Kind of English tutor, but it was okay. On big land, 
I mean, I, I knew I was, it was about 10 acres of land. And, and, uh, but once you go in this house, as Tony answered the door, and I go in the house, and all of a sudden, I'm in a French chateau because we're at the top of the house. It's on the side of the hill. It goes down into the valley. So you don't see anything but that one, one size. And you walk in, and it's marbled floors, black. I'm assuming it was marble, black and white checkered floor. And, and, and they had to be 36-inch, three-foot squares. And inlaid, holding the grout was silver. But I'm 27, 28. I don't know from nothing. So to me, I, okay, it's pretty. And I walk in. I, I look back now, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, where was I? <laughs> this, the, the, the wood panels were like an old warm wormwood and vines were crawling up to the ceiling all the way around it. This house was brought over from England in the 1930s and the Tobin Clark who were the people were, which was Crocker Bank which eventually became Chase Bank that's where they were, they were started and so it was their money and they brought this house over from England, disassembled that manor house in England, and put it back together. They, they marked every stone, every window, every doorknob, everything, and reassembled. And that's what kept the working class employed through the Depression in 1930 in, in, in Hillsborough. So it was a wonderful job. And I had the... the uh, Emily Post's book on manners and how to set a table and how to do things like that. And Tony was just the most marvelous lady. We had a great friendship. Because I would come in and say, hey, dinner's served, huh? <laughs> no, Ralph. <laughs> um, I know one time I walked in and I said, <clears throat> well, uh, I'm ready, folks, if you are. <laughs> no, Ralph. No, Ralph. And I'd have to go back outside and I'd come back in, try it again, Ralph. Okay. So she was just gracious, though, about it, always with a smile, always so kind. And uh, people from the bank, well, when they had an event, a, a party, um, you were there for two to three days because people came in from Europe. People came in from New York, Chicago, Dallas, I mean, all over the place, and some local people, too. In L.A., we let the Southern Californians up every now and then. And... Uh, um, I would see people that I knew from the bar or came through the smoke shop. And when they saw me in the smoke shop, they were all very friendly. Hey, Ralph, how you doing? All of a sudden, they've arrived, and I'm just the help. And so, and I understood that. That was, that was the game. That was the dance, as we called it. That was the game. They're the royal guest, and I'm the livery. So, Okay. This, this was good. And we had one doctor. There was always a doctor at these events. And I found out later Mr. D was quite sick. But I didn't know it at the time. So um, there was always a doctor at the events. And this one doctor, he liked to drink. And I have to keep an eye on him. Because when he's starting to stumble a little bit when he's playing tennis. And this wasn't high-class tennis. Uh, you knew to start watering his drinks down. And take it slow. So then they'd come in after that and they'd have a, evening cocktails and then dinner would be served. And uh, I had a full staff at that point. Not a big one, but a staff to, to work with. And uh, this doctor would disappear. And Tony would come up to me and say, <coughs> Ralph, it's the doctor. 
she'd say, upstairs, our bedroom. And I'd go upstairs, and here's the doctor, naked as a jaybird, passed out in Mr. Drew's bed, hanging on to his quilt. (laughs) I had, doctor, doctor, wake up, doctor. I have to wake him up. Wrap the quilt around him, grab all his clothes. Now, this happened more than once, so I was getting good at it. And, and I'd open the door, and I'd have to look up and down the hallway to make certain nobody was there, because he's still naked as a jaybird. I just got this towel around, I mean, the quilt. And then I'd scuttle him off to his bedroom, tuck him into bed, go back in, and clean and make the bed. And generally, butlers do not make beds. It should there be a question. But the maids were busy. So I had to make the bed. So you go back downstairs, and would you like another cocktail? And I was doing my thing and passing the hors d'oeuvres and doing all this business. And here comes the doctor. He's taking a shower, and he's a little sobered up. Nobody says anything. Everything's just fine. The next day, we've done brunch. Tennis court's going because I got finger food out there. The swimming pool's happening. And uh, I'm in the great room in the library, because I love this part of the place the best. The library had a fireplace that was taller than me with roses, vines of roses coming up. And the, the, the um, sculptor, the wood sculptor, the carver, I guess, his name was Gibbons, a very famous man in England. I could stick a pencil an inch or more deep into the heart of each rose. And, there was, and you could not see a knife cut on it at all. It was just, I, oh boy, I love this place. It's a special room for me. But this day, there's all sorts of commotion. And when you're doing a job like that, you're doing things by feel a lot. I don't know what's going on in every room in the house, but I could feel it. <laughs> and there was a bad gloom over the whole house and out on the pool and all that. It was just something's up. And so it turns out that the doctor's lost his wallet. And he's got everybody up in an uproar about where's his wallet. And we can't find his wallet. So eventually Tony calls everybody into the library. And me. And I'm standing like I am now and everyone is seated. And she says, Ralph, I have to ask you, have you seen the doctor's wallet? No, ma'am, I haven't. I have looked. I have the staff looking. I haven't seen it. Well, the doctor wants me to ask, do you have his wallet? I wanted to smack him. <laughs> I mean, I just... And I said, no. I, you're, my job is much more valuable than anything. But I can't say that because that's not my role. That's not my position. And so she said, doctor... I have to ask you one more time, will you kindly go to your car and see if your wallet is there? Five minutes later, he comes in, head down, holding a wallet. Oh, shucks, yeah, I guess I should have looked there. And he's taken an hour plus of these people's time. And I mean, I'm just the help. These are CEOs that have having to go looking for this man's wallet. So this is not a good situation, very uncomfortable situation. And he says, well, I guess I, I will go now. And says, Tony, God bless this lady, her elegance, her steel, that, that steel in the, in the velvet glove comes out and says, 
Oh, no, doctor, please stay. We would like to have you here the rest of the weekend with us. Now, she needed a doctor to be on staff because of his illness, but that was never coming up. But it was just put, I think it'd be good for you to stay. And so that gentleman had to stay and be with me because he had to stand up and come over and apologize to me. And she made him shake my hand. Now, but that didn't have such meaning to me because that was by dictate. If he had just came out on his own, that was one thing. But when you're told to do it, eh, it wasn't quite the same. But I appreciated the situation. I certainly appreciated the elegance with which this lady handled this situation. So we go through the weekend. He didn't get drunk, and he was never back in Mr. D's bed. And he and I, we got that we could sit down and talk. I mean, if I was taking a break outside, he came up and sat next to me and we had a chit-chat and smoked a cigarette together. So in those days, that was a bonding moment, you know, the guys outside doing this. So uh, at the end of the, uh, the Monday, it was a Memorial Day weekend, I go down and I open the, the, the main gate and all the people drive off and I've taken the people to the airport that are going to the airport and we come back, and now it's just Tony and Mr. D and myself. Well, we get out the brandy, get out the cigars, and we sit down in the library and just have the most wonderful, wonderful memories. And we laughed about the doctor. We laughed about this and that. Mr. D's business deal, whatever was going on, was successful because we were drinking the good brandy. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I'll never forget that lady. And whenever I have any type of feeling slighted or feeling less than or any kind of off kilter I remember this lady with her grace and her elegance she taught me that I too can walk in grace and elegance so thank you very much if you are interested in learning how to become a storyteller please visit our website at southmountaincc.edu forward slash storytelling.